Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Tonight's really, they're, they're all tremendous um, nights, but tonight's an interesting thing. Tonight, Jesus is going to address something that I think we seldom think about, and it's kind of unique. Um, tonight, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to address a specific sin. It's a sin that I call, this is what I call it, I call it an acceptable sin. And <laughs> Now, when I say acceptable sin... Some of you may be thinking, I didn't think any sins were acceptable. And I would say, that is correct. I am not saying that Jesus says this sin is acceptable. What I am saying is that the sin that Jesus is going to address tonight is a sin that the church and many Christians somehow seem to be okay with because it's something we do a whole lot of and it's something we do not repent over very often. It's true, all sins are equal, they are. But somehow in the West or in the Christian church, evangelical Christianity specifically, we have a tendency to kind of, uh, I don't know, um, categorize sin. So you've got, it'll be, we got these certain sins, I'm not going to list them, but some of these sins were like, oh, these are the bad ones, right? I do these, man, that's bad news. All right, and you got some of the sins were like, yeah, they're not that bad, they're not that good, they're they're okay. Once again, they're all bad. They all separated you from God. They all miss the mark. God's, it's not God's best at sin. He detests them. He hates them, all of them, all together. And then we got this, this category over here that I don't know what to call except for acceptable sins because they're rampant in the church. I'm, I'm not immune to them. I mean, I, I've suffered this too. And Jesus is going to look at the largest, the biggest acceptable sin in the church tonight. But before we look at the one Jesus talks about, I want to give you some examples of some of the acceptable sins. Not that Jesus says they're acceptable, but that we seem to think they're acceptable. I'm going to just list four of them. That's all I have the guts to do. Um, because when I, say every, when I say these, all of you, you're going to get uncomfortable because we get uncomfortable when we talk about these acceptable sins. Here are just four of them, four examples. One, Gossip. Gossip is an, yeah, gossip's an acceptable sin in the church. It should not be. And it's not like God hasn't talked about it. I did some research the last couple of weeks on gossip, and I found over a hundred times in the Bible where God says, don't gossip. My people are not to be a people who gossip. It's found in over 26 of the books of the Bible. But I guarantee you this, you go into many evangelical churches and you hang out in the lobby you don't have to do a whole lot, just kind of walk around like this, minding your own business, and you're going to hear some gossip as, it's as if we don't think very badly of it, if it's not a big deal. But Jesus says no, very clearly over a hundred times, but it appears to be a sin that we find acceptable, and we should not, we need to repent of. But another one, unthankfulness, ingratitude. You can be in the lobby. You're going to hear this same thing. Jesus, God is very clear about this. We are to be a grateful people. 
Ephesians 5.20, just one of the many, give thanks always for everything to God, to, the, God, to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. We're to be a thankful people. And I'm not going to get into this, but I had some examples. Um, um, it's not uncommon sometimes for people, okay, we can get into it, why not? Hey, listen, you sometimes, I've seen it, not at this church, I won't say here, but people will come to church, they'll visit the church, and on their way out, they're complaining they're not, and I think, man, we're in a, our country. This is a privilege to be here to worship the great king. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you will hear people complain that maybe the coffee was not as good as it should be. I'm like, come on, come on. It's, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, two more. This is where it gets difficult. I'm going to name number three. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to say it because I, I want you to come back next week. This is an acceptable sin in the American church. Gluttony. <laughs> Four. <laughs> I love you guys. I know, man, because next week we're going to be having pies after church, okay? <laughs> uh, maybe that's in two weeks. <laughs> Guilty, okay. But listen, it's a sin. We need, to rep- we need to be fighting these things. We need to be fighting these. Number four, here's another one. Idleness. Idleness. Idleness is a state of inaction or inactivity. Thessalonians, Paul says... This is hard stuff. Admonish the idol. Second Thessalonians, he says, keep away from any brother, that's any Christian, who is walking in idleness. That means they are in a continual process of doing nothing. They are doing nothing. It's kind of a sin of omission. It's not like they're overtly doing anything, but they're sinning because they're absolutely doing nothing at all. We are to be people that we can rest, but we're not to be idol. I thought about this. We have changed the whole word idol. We don't even talk about it. We've named it something else. We call it channel surfing, right? Or we call it, we call it what? Man, what is that? Um, Just um, binge watching or being bored. Man, listen, I've been here before and I want you guys, if you're there, not to do this, but I know that there's believers who would prefer to sit home in idleness watching Netflix, watching a show they do not even like instead of walking outside saying hi to their neighbor and telling them about Jesus. But we do that, guys. It's an acceptable sin. All right, we're going to stop there. I'm not going to list anymore because now we're going to talk about the biggest one. It's so big that Jesus mentions it in the Sermon on the Mount, this acceptable sin. And what's curious to me is this was an acceptable sin 2,000 years ago, and we're still struggling with it. And you may be thinking, what is this acceptable sin? What is this sin that we all seem to participate in? We're not fighting it. We're not repenting of it. It is the acceptable sin of fear or being anxious. Being fearful and anxious is not a little thing for the Christian. I was reading and I was looking and I was studying. This is not complete, but I found over 350 times in the Bible where God says, fear not or do not be afraid. 350 times. God could not be any more clear. He does not desire or want his people to be a fearful 
people. But once again, we can get into it with such great ease. And now it's confession time. I'm guilty, guys. This morning, man, I was hanging out with Pastor Tony, and I had to confess to him. I'm preparing a message on this. And I just got to confess to you guys. You guys may know this, you may not know this, but on August 20th, we are going to start a second service at Silverdale St. Elmo. Praise God. It's awesome. Tuesday, though, thank you, yeah, Tuesday, I'm going to St. Elmo to meet with the church and to go over this. And the church is all on board. They're awesome. But I'm driving there, and I start thinking about the logistics I start thinking about all the things I don't know. I start thinking about all what's involved, and I kid you not, I begin to get anxious and fearful on my way to tell the church at St. Elmo and talk about it. So we've got to be on guard. What did I do? Well, I did what I think is the biblical thing. I repented on the spot. I said, God, I have no idea, but I just wandered into anxiousness. I know you have said, fear not, I repent of it. God, I need help. Carry me and sustain me. And you know what happened? I showed up at St. Elmo that night, and all the people were there, wonderful people, and they were so encouraging. They were miles ahead of me. I really didn't have to say anything. They just said, man, what, what, why can't we do it next week? And I'm like, well, we, we're not ready next week. But God's good. Guys, this is not a little thing. We're not to be a fearful people. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, Jesus gives us four specific reasons why he does not want his people to be a fearful people. Let's unpack it. Matthew 6, 25. First thing King Jesus is going to say to us is fear is unfaithful. Check it out. Check it out. Here's what Jesus says on the mount, talking to his disciples. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. I want to pause there because we really got to look at this. I don't think Jesus could be any more clear. I want to pull out a few things. First thing, notice, this is a command. It's an imperative. My people are not to do this. I'm not requesting it. I'm telling you, you do not be anxious. Second thing I want us to notice is this word, anxious. I studied it some. You guys can underline it. This is the ESV version. Different versions translate it differently. Anxious is a good definition, but actually in the Greek, it's a fuller kind of word. In Greek, it's meranao. It's a really full word. It carries the ideal of not worrying, not being troubled, not being fearful, not allowing something to control your mind to such a degree that you continually think upon it. So it's a little bit bigger than being anxious. It's this thinking upon. It's this fearful attitude. It's this unknowing, and I'm going to let what I do not know control what I presently do not, what I do know. And Jesus says, don't do it. All right? So the question is this. Why is Jesus talking about this? Why are we not to fear? Well, if you can, go back to the very first word. It's this word, therefore. Now, you can circle it, but what it means is that what Jesus has just said, don't be fearful, is linked to what he said previously. We talked about it last week. So what had Jesus just said? Jesus had just declared that for the Christian, our only God is creator God. 
We have no other God. We worship him. We bow down to him. We submit to him. We make much of him. He is our God. He is our, he is our, our he's everything. And Jesus says, if he is your God, you need not worry. And if you do worry, it's an indictment upon him. Because you were saying by your worry that I don't think my God actually has tomorrow handled. I don't think my God is actually all-powerful. I am not for sure that my God is actually good. Therefore, what I'm going to do is spend some time worrying about it. Worry, unfaithfulness to God. It declares to all, I don't think my God actually has it. And then Jesus continues. He's going to give us, tell us exactly what we're not to worry about. Look, do not be anxious continuing about your life, okay? What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It put, will put on. This is one of the most all-inclusive statements found in the Bible. You can circle this word life, okay? Jesus says we're not to be anxious, we're not to be maranao about life, this word life. Once again, in the Greek, it's the word suhe, and it is an all-inclusive word. It's comprehensive. It means your personal being, your physical being, your mental being, your emotional being, your spiritual being. It's your life in the total and fullest sense Absolutely no aspect of your life, either internal or external, justifies the Christian being anxious because of the God we serve. And that's what he says. Complete, total. No worry for my people. My people are not to be a Maranao people. We don't do that. Why? Because God is so good. Now, I want to briefly say this, because I don't want because some guys have a tendency to take this too far. By this, I am not saying we can't have reasonable concerns, right? Like, like I'm not saying don't go to work. I don't want, Pastor Travis said, I can just kick back and do nothing. No, he's not saying that. Jesus is not saying that, all right? He's not saying when we wake up in the morning, there's going to be a basket of food there. He's not saying don't plan and do nothing, be lazy, God's our personal butler. He's not saying that. He's saying work hard, pursue a legacy, seek him, obey him, but do not worry about the necessities of life because God is good and he will take care of you. Continuing, look, this is a full verse. He says, is not, I love this, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Dude, I love it. Hey, listen, dude, I eat straight up. I like to eat. I do, man. It's one of the great joys in my life. And, and if any of you ever want to go eat tacos, give me a call. And I know most of you have my phone number because I give it out and you can share it. Anybody going to get tacos, give me a call. I like to eat. But I'll tell you right now, life is more than tacos. I know. It is. And Jesus is saying, life is more than this. It's more than this. And think about it. When you go outside, you turn on your radio, the advertisements are going to be about these three things, really. Food, drink, and clothing. We're still preoccupied with it. 
2,000 years later. Jesus says there's more to life than this. The world says, no, this is life. Jesus says, don't be fooled. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. So first, we're not to worry because it's unfaithfulness to God. Then he's going to continue verse 26 and 30 and say, he's going to say, for God's people, fear is unnecessary. It's not necessary. He gives us two illustrations. If you've been, I mean, you've, you've, you've probably read these and heard these, but uh, they're fantastic. Let's look at his first illustration. Here's what King Jesus says. Look at the birds of the air. I want to pause here. I don't know if this is what's happening. I think it is, though. I think Jesus is sitting there preaching to his disciples and birds fly by, and I really think Jesus says, look at the birds. I really believe. It's, it's almost got that kind of the flow of the, the, the sentence. Look, look at the birds in the air. It's almost as if he's preaching and he, birds come by. Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. He feeds them. There are millions and millions of birds, and by and large, I don't know, they seem to be pretty happy. You guys seen an unhappy bird? You seen a stressed out bird? I, I haven't. Birds are cool, but I've never seen a bird like be, have a stress-related kind of things. I will say this. I don't know. I have had a bird run into the window of my house. I don't know. I, that bird, I don't know. He had to be a little bit stressed. I don't know. But by and large, you don't see them really worried. And Jesus says, God takes care of them. Those birds that just flew by, God takes care of them. And then Jesus asks a question. Are you not of more value than they? Come on, yeah. I mean, think about it. Think about the worth of a bird. And I know you got some bird people in here, and you love your birds. That's cool. But by and large, I mean, birds are, are they're, they're not that valuable. Please send me no emails about how awesome birds are, okay? But by and large, you know what Jesus is talking about here. Birds are not made in the image and likeness of King Jesus, of God, right? And he feeds them, you and I, are made in the image and likeness of God. How much more will he take care of you and I? I would say this practically, do this. I encourage you, man. You start getting anxious. You start getting fearful. Just look at the birds, man. Look at the birds. And realize God's taking care of them. He's going to take care of you. Furthermore, if you're a Christian, I want you to think about this when you're worrying He's already taken care of the biggest problem you have. He died on the cross in your place for your sin. He took care of it. He took care of it completely, totally, completely. Why would he not take care of the small things if he took care of your greatest need? Verse 27. <laughs> I love this one. You get the feeling that Jesus is kind of... He says. A little bit. This isn't a joke, but it's kind of funny. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's like Jesus is saying, kind of saying, yeah, go ahead and worry. Do it. Worry. What good is it going to do you? You're going to get more ulcers. You're going to lose some sleep. 
But I can guarantee you right now, if you choose to worry, it's not going to solve your problem. It will not be positive in any sense of the word. It's not a good response. It does you no good, and we all know it. We all know it. We have all spent nights restlessly worrying, and it did nothing of pos- nothing good. doesn't do anything. Jesus says, go ahead and do it. It's not going to do you any good. Second illustration. And why are you anxious about clothing? <laughs> now, here's the deal. I know we get anxious about clothing. If I were to ask everyone in here, if you got anxious about what you're wearing before you came to church, raise your hand. Well, I did, you know, whatever. We do, we get anxious. They got anxious then. Jesus, I believe, now is looking at the flowers. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, that's a big rebuke. O you of little faith. Who is he rebuking? He is rebuking those who get anxious about the clothes that they wear. And he just said something staggering here about King Solomon. You can read the Old Testament. You can see he was the richest king that ever lived. You can read the Old Testament documents the splendor of his palace. And Jesus just said the flowers make the robes of Solomon look like rags. And Jesus says God clothes them You have more value. How much more will he take care of you? Do not be anxious about what you wear. All right. This is unneeded. Third thing. Fear is unworthy. It's unworthy. Verse 31. Here's what he says. Therefore, do not be anxious saying... What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? I want you to notice something. There's a shift here. He just changed from looking outwards. Now he's saying we. He's talking about we, the church, us. He's saying, look, we, we should not do this. Why? 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 He's saying we. Why? Because we have been. If you're saved, if God has saved you, Christ has saved you. You have been adopted in the family of God. He is your father. He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. And I was thinking about this. Like my kids. I'm a father. I'm a father. I'm not a perfect father by no means. But I'm a father. And like my kids, my kids don't wake up in the morning concerned about what they're going to eat. Why? Because they know I'm going to feed them. Now, if mom's not in town... They're going to get fed a little bit later, right? But they're still going to get fed. Man, our God is great. He has saved us. He has adopted us. We need not fear these things. We're children of the king. And here's where I see some disconnect. Here's what I think happens sometimes. I've seen this. People in my office, I've seen this. It's not that they doubt the power of God but somehow we get it in our mind that perhaps we're not adopted or perhaps 
God would not shower that kind of love on us specifically. And we doubt it. But Jesus is saying here, guys, you did not merit it, you did not deserve it, but God has saved you. You have been adopted. You are indwelled by God the Spirit. You've been sealed by God the Spirit. You are a child of the King. He is your perfect heavenly Father. You, us, we need not go around worrying about the things we're going to eat. We need not go around worrying about the things we're going to drink. We need not worry about the things we're going to wear. Why? Because our Father is God. He owns the, the, the cows on a thousand hills. Don't worry about it. He continues, look at this. Just the, 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 the craziness in all this. Look, for the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Okay, so if you are worried, Jesus is saying, you're worried about this stuff. You're, you're being anxious about this stuff. You're fearful about this stuff. Guess what? That's a worldly type of thinking because that is exactly what the world is thinking about. But we're distinct. We're different. We don't have to pursue those things. We're to think about our God. We're to think about his goodness. He's going to tell us something just tremendous and just a moment that kind of shapes the way we are to think. But God knows what we need. God created you to be a man and a woman who gets hungry. Like Adam didn't all of a sudden create Adam, and Adam get hungry, and God's like, whoa, I'm really surprised. He knows it. He's not saying these things are not unimportant, but they're not to be of the most important the world chases after these things. The God is their belly, not for you and I. And then we get to verse 33, where he tells us what then we shall do for us, for the believer. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. To you, Christian. To you, child of God. To you who I've saved. To you I indwell. They will be added on to you. You need not worry. If you're seeking the kingdom and his righteousness first. Now this is a really famous verse. There's many non-Christians who know this verse. And I've seen this verse used inappropriately or wrongly many times, so I want to talk about it a moment. Oftentimes you hear this quoted as a primary verse, as a standalone verse, but I want you to see this is not a standalone verse. This verse is in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's supporting what I would say is the standalone verse. The standalone verse is don't be anxious. That's the standalone verse. Do not be anxious. And this supports this. If you seek God's kingdom and you seek God's righteousness, all these things, that's the necessities of life, will be added unto you. Jesus says, focus on his kingdom. Focus on his righteousness. Out of all the things in the world that you could focus your attention on, and there's a lot, God says, for my people, you focus on my kingdom first and my righteousness I believe that means God says we're to pour out our lives in the eternal work of God. I think it means we're to be leveraging our lives so that we can see as many people 
as we can come to know and hear the gospel. I think it means we need to be a people who are concerned with the nations hearing about Jesus. We're to seek his righteousness. And when you do those things, God guarantees all these necessities will be added unto you. Therefore, you need not worry. Verse 34. We'll start wrapping it up here. Fear is unwise. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I say, amen. <laughs> He's going to argue with that. Like, like <laughs> yeah. It's unwise to worry about the future. The God of today is the God of tomorrow. The God that carried you today will carry you tomorrow. It is simply unwise to be worried about tomorrow when the day you're currently living in clearly has enough troubles of its own. Acceptable sins. And this is not one of them. Worry. It's unfaithful. It's unneeded. It's unworthy. It's unwise. It's not a little thing, church. It's not a little thing to be a fearful people. We're not to worry. I want to close by sharing with you a story about myself and about worry and what the Lord taught me. And I just want to make sure I'm saying this clearly. We're not to be a fearful people. We're not to be a fearful people. I remember some years ago when my wife and I were in Africa... We had lived in this one house for four years. And for some different reasons, we had to move out of that house and find a different house. And I got anxious because I didn't know where we were going to live. And we look and we look and nothing's happening and I'm just getting more and more anxious. God, did you not call me here? God, is my ministry not God-honoring? Do you want me to leave? What's going on? I fear that I can't find a house. And I remember this one day specifically, the Lord pressed upon me with the heavy hand of grace. And this is what he pressed on me that day. He taught me and shaped me. I clearly just remember the Lord pressing upon me this. Travis, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go home and I want you to get alone and I want you to think about your life. And I want you to consider any time in your life that I have not abundantly taken care of you. And I want you to write them down. And I felt like the Lord was saying, no, you don't answer me right now, Travis. You go home and you pray. If there is an indictment to be brought against me, bring it, Travis. Bring your indictment. All right, God. I go home and I pray. And I think about my life. And I couldn't think of anything. Not where he just hadn't provided, but where he had not abundantly provided. So, I go back to the Lord. And I say, Lord, I prayed. And I cannot bring an indictment against you. 
I cannot remember or think about a time in my life where you have not abundantly taken care of me. And I feel the Lord telling me, pressing upon me, then why are you concerned now? Why are you worried? Why do you act like this, Travis? I've called you. Keep looking for that house. Keep praying. But don't worry, because I got it. And he does. Guys, church, people, worry is not a small thing. For God's people, it's not a small thing. We should not accept it. We need to fight it. And I get it. So Tuesday, I had some worry about anxiety about the new service. God, I've confessed, repented, confessed to Tony. I confessed to all of you. But I get it. I may be anxious tomorrow. Once again, I need to take that. I need to repent of that. And I need to ask God, carry me and sustain me. Because there is a tendency to drift into being anxious. We will not be an anxious people. We will not be a fearful people. For God's glory and our joy, we must not. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.